After about a year and a half of us not being able to have baptisms here in the church on regular Sunday mornings, we had a lot of baptisms in people's backyards, and we had a few baptisms. Once we started getting a little bit more brave, um, we had small Saturday morning private baptisms with just a few people here in this big open space, but today we're back. At the nine o'clock service, we had six people baptized, three little ones and three adults, and we did the baby parade, in case you're wondering, which is one of the St. John's traditions that people love. I I think the baby actually pooped on on me as I was, (laughs) not on me, but yeah, it, it brought back memories, good memories. And it brings back a memory of one of my favorite baptism experiences that I may have shared with a few of you before, but I'll share with you now. It was years ago when I was an associate at another church, and there was a couple that I used to visit regularly. I would go bringing communion to them, and they were both in their 90s. I think that the woman was 92 or 93, but her husband was over 95. And I love to visit with them and to hear their stories about their lives. And they met when they were young, and both of them were working in Hollywood way back in another era. And they were screenwriters back in the day, writing the movies that none of us have seen, the movies that aren't remembered. Those, those movies had people working on them too. And they loved to share of their experiences, and even though their bodies were diminishing, Their minds were agile and sharp, and they had that beautiful spark together with one another. And one of the days, as I was about to leave, they said, we have a question for you. And I said, sure, tell me what it is. They said, we were wondering if you could do a baptism. And I was assuming that the baptism was probably for a great-grandchild. They said, no, it was for the man. All of his life, he'd been going to church, but he had never gotten baptized along the way. And here he was, 95 years old, and he he looked at me with a twinkle in his eye and with an earnest expression on his face, and he said, I have loved my wife all these years, and I want to be sure to be with her forever. So, of course... Uh, We started to make plans for when we would have this baptism at their home because they were not, you know, they were too feeble to come on a Sunday morning. Um, But I did what you do. One of the things that you're supposed to do in all baptisms is have the community gathered. So I got some parishioners from the church to be the body of Christ gathered together with them at their home. And then, unfortunately, she took a spill. And it wasn't a terrible fall, but it caused her to need to be bedridden. And so they were now at a hospital room and at their care facility. But we didn't call off the baptism. We just planned to have it in the hospital room. And I I got a basin that we would use for a font. We brought a container with water. And we even brought from the sacristy a little bottle that had water from the Jordan River that we would sprinkle in with the other water and a stack of prayer books that we would use. But when we started the service, there was another surprise. It turns out that the 95-year-old baptismal candidate's ancient eyes could not read the words written in the prayer books. 
Even though he was wearing glasses, the glasses didn't help much. And so when we got to the part of the service where the questions are asked, do you turn to Christ and accept him as your savior? Do you put your full trust in his grace and love? Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons? He didn't read any of the answers that are printed in the prayer book, but instead he just spoke the words saying, yes, absolutely, or with all my heart. It was a glowing moment in so many ways. I think that this is what God's glory looks like. On a threshold not far from death, there was boldness and beauty, light and life. Today, we're invited to stand near the threshold that exists between life and death and to reflect on those who have gone before because today in the church, we honor this day as All Saints Day. You've heard perhaps the old English phrase for this day is All Hallows Day. And in our kind of secular culture, even more famously, All Hallows Eve, the Eve before All Saints um, and that word hallow, we don't use it very often, but we do use it in the, word, in the words of the Lord, Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Do you ever stop and think what that means? It means holy. A saint is holy, a hallow. It's actually the same as the word halo. And in the church, we kind of conflate two days. All saints is for those official saints who checked the boxes and they had the right number of miracles and they, they like St. John is an official saint. But then we have another day that's all souls, which is for everybody else. And the way we think of it in most churches on Sunday is we bring the two together and remember all those whom we love but see no longer and those who have inspired us. I love the way the prayer book put it. Puts it. This is what a saint is according to the prayer book. The chosen vessels of God's grace and the lights of the world in their generations. And we can circle back to those two in that care facility on that day who saw in each other God's light. There was holiness in that room. There was hallowedness. It's important to say about all baptisms and about that baptism that I was sharing with you, the baptism did not add to the belovedness of that individual in God's eyes. It only completed it by receiving it. That's what we do. God has offered the gift, but with baptism we formally receive it, so we complete the gift-giving of God. Now, perhaps Lazarus was worthy of official saint status. I'm not sure if I've ever heard him referred to as Saint Lazarus or not, but we, we actually don't know very much about him and his life, except that we do know that he was the brother of Mary and Martha, and we know that he knew Jesus really well and that Jesus loved him. In fact, we don't get this in the reading from today, but a few verses before, there's a discussion among the disciples when Lazarus has died and his sisters reach out to Jesus for help. 
And they have some idea that he can help, interestingly. Um, the disciples actually tell Jesus, don't go. Do you remember why? They say, don't go because the land is dangerous. The people there, they believe, are going to stone Jesus to death. And they say, it's not safe for you to go. And Jesus basically rebukes them and says he is not afraid and that he walks in the light and he will go. Um, and then poor Thomas. You know, Thomas actually has a great moment here. This is not what he's remembered for. He's remembered to be doubting Thomas. That's a different part. Of, he had a bad PR person. Because <laughs> Thomas says, let us go with him and die with him. Which rings strongly in this amazing story that's about life and death. Jesus is actually willing to give his life, to risk his life, to bring his friend back to life. There's death all around and life at the center. Well, in terms of Lazarus himself, and was he, the question, was he perfect or saintly? Well, it's not nearly as important as the fact that he was loved. The miracle of Lazarus being brought back to life is a miracle that has love at its center. For Jesus' part, there is no fear in spite of the fear that is felt by the people all around him. And I think perhaps the worst thing about death is not that it ends life, but that fear of it causes many to not live in the first place. A word that comes up over and over in this passage and throughout the whole Bible is this mysterious word, glory. And I believe that you cannot behold glory if you're in a state of fear. And another word that is central to it all is this word, believe. Jesus says the word believe here. And believe, believing that is the way, And it means not merely to agree with your head, but to give your heart. Give your heart, and you will see glory. And you will be free from fear, free to live. Free like Lazarus, stumbling and surprised, coming out of the tomb. Free like that elderly couple whose undying love continued to surprise them with gifts every day. Reflecting on Lazarus, the author and pastor Frederick Beekner writes, Recent interviews with people who have been resuscitated after being pronounced clinically dead reveal that after they glimpse what is evidently common to see a figure of light waiting for them on the other side, they are often very reluctant to be brought back again to this one. On the other hand, when Lazarus opened his eyes to see the figure of Jesus standing there in the daylight beside him, he couldn't for the life of him tell which side he was on. The good news is that Jesus' death has defeated death, and we can be free from fear now, free to behold the glory of God that is in fact all around us, free to live. Amen.